0: continue our our series in the parable of the sower just second week if you missed last week then I would I'd appreciate you listening during the week if you're if you're going to be here on a regular basis uh, even if you're not I'd appreciate that too that'd be awesome but even if you are I think it's helpful I can't re-preach I guess I could but I don't want I don't think it's helpful to me to try to re-preach every week uh, the message the week before so you can catch up but I hope it's helpful just to give give you a little thought and remind you of what a parable is, the parable of the sower. Like I said, we'll go into that in just a minute. I'll read it for you again in Mark chapter 4. But a parable is a good story, basically. It takes something familiar and uses it to explain something unfamiliar or a deeper truth. A parable allows the listener to enter into the story. And when they enter into the story, it allows them to hear the message as if it was working it out in their own lives. And by it working out in their own lives, it has a greater chance to change someone. As they say, the best counseling is when someone recognizes on their own what they need to do. So basically, Jesus is allowing you to step into the story and begin to see yourself in the story. Jesus' truth here, his deeper truth in this particular passage of Scripture, and his familiarity is a harvest field. But his deeper truth that he's trying to get across to the folks is that a person's reception of God's Word is determined by the condition of their heart. But I also want to remind you that the purpose of this series is not intended for you or I to question our salvation, but the purpose is to examine our hearts. Examine our conditions so that we can determine where are we on this thing. And I will say this for some of you here today. You very well may need to question where your salvation is. I don't, take, I don't assume when people walk into this room every Sunday that they have given their life to Christ. I don't assume that... One, and they're in any one-four of these dirts. It's not my role. I believe probably it's represented in all four of them, is my guess. As I shared with you last week, I think there are times we all kind of step into each one of those dirts, and we'll talk about. We don't want to live there. But our hope is that also you listen to this today and over this series, and don't just assume you're already in one dirt, like Dirt four. Don't we always want to go there? If you know the passage, I'm going to read it here in just a minute. But you always want to go, I'm in the good dirt. I'm good soil. We always want to put ourselves there. Now, we may be comparing everybody else around us and putting them in different soils. (laughs) But we want to put ourselves there. But let me say this. You may be there. But I hope and pray that if you are there, and I'm guessing that if you are there, your heart breaks for those who are not there. So please listen. Please take the word to heart. Because Jesus says, as we'll start this passage of Scripture, and we're going to visualize it here in just a second, the first word out of this passage of Scripture we will read is, listen. That's his first word. Then in the middle of this passage, what does he do? If you have ears to hear, you need to hear. So it's not just me today trying to get you fired up to listen to this. That is God. That's Jesus saying that about this passage of Scripture. Now, visualize this Scripture now before we read it. That way you can kind of move yourself into it. We've got a sower, and you know what a sower is, whether it's somebody that's slinging the seed or somebody that's putting one down at a time or somebody that, like I said last week, like you're doing winter grass like with me, and I'm pushing my little uh, the sower, shooting it everywhere. So, so that's the picture of that. The seed is God's Word, which is perfect. The four soils represented are our heart's conditions. The birds are Satan. They really are. (laughs) The sun, the word says, comes and scorches it. Those are those pressures of life that come along. Anybody know anything about that? Thorns, cares of life, distractions, those thorns that come in to choke the word out, thorns, and then there's fruit. So that's your visual here as we read this, Mark chapter 4, 3 through 20. Listen, exclamation point, right? farmer went out to sow his seed, As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And here's going to be our text for the day, and we're going to read all of it, but here's our text for the day. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still others fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and even hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they may be turned and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand the parables? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now listen, you may want to underline I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But because of the word, because of Jesus. When persecution comes because of your association with Jesus, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed seed sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So dirt number two, if you're scoring at home, is mentioned as the rocky, shallow soil. Where the plow either didn't, let me say this, either did not or could not cut deeply enough to break up the hard ground just below the surface. The soil only produced plants with weak, shallow roots. So if you get the picture, the seed in this hits the, hits the, this soil, this, this thin soil. The, the, and no doubt, the heat of the sun, because it's so thin, heats it up quickly, it germinates quickly, But when it goes to put its roots down, the depth of it, when it goes to put its roots down, all it hits is hard surface. Much like dirt one. Reminder what dirt one is. Dirt one is that unteachable heart. I'd even say rebellious heart. We talked about in the five C's last week, and we'll continue to kind of use this as we go along. Dirt one, I would say for sure, is over in conscience. In other words, conscience means your natural man. It's what you have before you know Christ, before the Spirit is revealing things to you. It is your conscience is the only thing you have to operate out of, and either you're ignorant of the things of God, in other words, you just don't know, or you're indifferent from hardness, which I've shared with you last week was me for about a decade, or just combative. things have happened, and you don't bring up God around these people. Just don't do it. But dirt number one, just leave that up there for a little bit if you. Will, Tori. These folks are hardened or have become hardened, whichever way you want to say it, and they just don't want to know the truth. They only want to talk to people who tell them what they want to hear. As I said last week, this person could have attended church for 20 years. (laughs) But they've either always been or have become unteachable. God has shown them His desire for their life in various ways. Whether through, now I think God speaks to us in really, I think kind of three categories. You can do with it what you wish, but He either speaks to us through His Word, He speaks to us through people, or He speaks to us through circumstances. But He speaks. God is speaking, and He doesn't stutter. He speaks for a purpose. He doesn't speak like a lot of people you know are just rambling. No, he speaks for a purpose. God speaks. But for whatever reason during this time, when God has spoken to you, whether it's you're in over here or you were over in here at some point, you begin to harden saying, I am not moving. I see what you're saying, God. I get it loud and clear, but no. No. And when you say no long enough to the Spirit moving on your life, all it does is pack back, ground down harder. You can still attend church. You can still raise your hand. You can still give an offering. But you become unteachable. Christ warns us in this passage that if you get there and the ground is hard, when the Word is sown, sown the thief comes to steal it. John 10.10, 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So what's happening is when the seed of God is sown, whether it's by circumstances, people, or the Word, it is hitting hard ground and it's stolen, so you cannot live into the abundant life that Jesus promises. just can't do it. It's not not even an option for you because you've allowed the ground to continue to get harder and harder. Dirt number one, unteachable. Even to the point of rebellious heart. Dirt number two, I would describe as the unsurrendered heart. Again, Jesus quoting this passage of scripture here. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered and they had no root. When the plants' roots go down for nourishment and moisture, Jesus says, Jesus says, if you're following after me, what did he tell the lady at the well? I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. What does he say in John 7? He says, I'll give you rivers of living water. Their roots are going down and there is no river. That The wellspring of life. As I shared with you last week in Romans chapter 1, I think it's verse 18, 19, it says, it says, by their evil desires, by suppressing the truth. By suppressing the truth. The truth is trying to bubble up. I look at it this way. The wellspring of life is trying to bubble up within that person, and guess what they're doing? They're going, No. No. And their roots try to go down, and it hits hard ground, and they starve to death right there. There's no nourishment. There's no water. But why? Why are they there? As I said last week, why the ground is hard and dirt number one It's a list too long of who's and how's and I'd be a fool to try to tell you I got all that figured out but I am going to take a stab at some thoughts over time even my own journey of why I think people may be here if that'll be helpful to you there's eight of them that I've got listed we may get to three okay we'll see see how fast I preach I don't have them up on the board up on the screen So you'll just have to write fast if you want to know them. Okay? The first one is this. There was no true repentance. See, dirt number two responds to the awesome offer of God's mercy. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't you all respond to that? Christ offers them peace of mind, pardon from sin, Salvation with eternal life in heaven. Believing they are forgiven. Their anxieties seem to disappear. And temporary happiness and peace fill their lives. The word says joy. But because they never had real, true repentance, they begin to fade from God's truth. They have no real appreciation for Christ's sacrifice on the cross. There is not this thankfulness or gratefulness in their life of what he has done for them. They're just thankful for what he can do for them, continuous for, but not what he's already done. And because of that, there is not a conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptation. Without repentance, there is no conversion. Let me say this again, folks. This shouldn't be revolutionary. But I think this day and age, age it almost is. Without repentance, there is no conversion. Jesus' first sermon Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, repent. That's his word. I'm not making this up this morning. Dirt number two, you can put the slide up, is converted in every way. Dirt number two. In every way except their mindset, lifestyle, and values. Another thing that I think is a reason why we get here is camp highs. The camp highs can happen in here on a Sunday. I'm not talking about just Prescott. I'm not just talking about San Diego. I'm not just talking about, but we call in youth ministry the camp high get all revved up at spiritual high, get all revved up when we're at camp or we're we're Young Life or wherever we are, we're all revved up. But when they step back into the real world, (laughs) if you will, the tough gets going and Jesus basically becomes irrelevant to the decisions of their life. Now I'll say it here, one of the downsides to being part of a dynamic, I hope spirit-filled, lively church is, is that you can almost you can almost equate because you come to church on Sunday and there's this great feeling that somehow you you're following after Christ. That you get this spiritual high on a weekly basis that somehow or another because I get this spiritual high that somehow or another I am a full-blown follower of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? But the spiritual roots don't sink deep. You face crisis. You face disappointment. You face disappointment by, by good meaning... Well me, whatever, Good people who are spirit-filled guess what? They're going to disappoint you. For sure, the one standing up here on this platform today is going to disappoint you. Because your roots don't go deep to begin to wither. And if you're not careful, you'll go to the other church to find the spiritual high. Then you go to the next church and see if I can find the spiritual high. I may go to church six days a week trying to find that spiritual high Then what you need is the hard ground tilled up. That's what you need. I'm all for spiritual highs. I love going to the mountaintop, but what I have learned is most things grow in the valley, not on the mountaintop. Most of the time on the mountaintop, there's hardly anything growing, especially go to Colorado. It is in the valley. Excited human emotion can carry us for a time. But it cannot be a substitute for real transformation. The spiritual high, like I said, is okay. But it alone cannot sustain us through the lifelong long process of transformation. Please hear me. Another one would be, if you're right, if you're taking of the eight, pressure from family or peers. Jesus' word says that when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, because of being associated with him, Quickly, it dissipates. Quickly, it withers. I, I shared with you again. I know I'm repeating a lot today, but it's 16 years old, I told you last week, It's 16 years old, the Word of God, the ground was tilled. I know it, but the Word of God was on me. I knew that, but I took my first drink of alcohol at six, on my 16th birthday, and it was a snatching of the raven coming to take the seed. And it did. Thank goodness God continued to till the ground over the next 10 years in various ways. Some of you, it may be pressure social concerns it may be pressure from your family of traditions and this is the way we do things and i don't know how to break out of that for some of you it could be a lifestyle that you just don't know how to get out of it you just i I don't know but your association with christ and the truth that he's trying to speak into your life is causing the roots not to go deep number four Please hear me on this one. But I think a continuous victim mentality keeps the roots from going deep. It seems to always be someone else's fault. There is a difference between being truly victimized. People are truly victimized. Please hear this. And I understand that. And sometimes we have to work through a long process because you were. But there is a difference between being victimized and accepting a life of being a victim with its bondage and its challenges. Those are two different things. And when you make the decision that I'm going to deflect everything, I am not going to take response, personal responsibility. I'm just going to continue. You know, it's their fault or it's their fault or it's their fault or it's their fault. The hardest truth I think maybe I had, had, ever, had to ever come to grips with. That the biggest constraint on my life and my dream was me. I was my biggest problem. Not someone else. Not something else. And I'll say this, this, this spiritual realization as, a, as, a, as an adult, I'll, I'll let the kids stay out of it for right now. I wrote this down years ago, and I don't know where I got it. Maybe I stole it from someone else, but I forgot who it was, so I'm taking credit today. <laughs> said this, If you could kick the person most responsible for your troubles you wouldn't be able to sit down for weeks. If you could kick the person most responsible for your troubles, you wouldn't be able to sit down for weeks. Do with that what you wish. Third, f- fifth one is hard times. Dirt number two endures for a little while, but when tests and trials come, I already mentioned a little bit, they stumble. They're following after Christ when everything's going well, and they're all for that. When everything's going their way, they're all in. I've heard people say, well, I believed until... I believe until this happened to me or it happened to someone else. I can't believe that God would allow this to happen or that to happen. Newsflash, we live in a fallen world. So difficulty, trying times are inevitable. let me say this about those who I think will be in dirt number four, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but let me say this. Hard times, persecution, suffering, disappointment, pains. That is the context, in my opinion, in which the pressure cooker extracts what's in your soul. Here's the great promise from God. When your heart is of a heart of integrity, all the persecution, all the trouble, all the hardship will actually strengthen you, not weaken you. Matter of fact, you walk towards pressure. You embrace pressure, not stress. It's different. You look for ways to step into the pressure for God to strengthen you, and you use what you've been really working towards. Why would you not? It's kind of like practicing basketball or whatever sport and never get to play the game. That would make no sense. Man, the reason, part of the reason, not the only, but part of the reason I'm in the Word, part of the reason I'm on my face before the Lord, part of the reason I try to lift in the gifts and graces I have is because I want the opportunity to come. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. I will get ready, then perhaps my chance will come some of you waiting to get ready after it comes bad decision you make bad decisions there i'm not going to say you're going to make perfect decisions when you've been preparing because it's always going to be a little tweaked but baby we got to be getting ready for the opportunities to come you don't look out there in that world today and say there's not opportunities If you've been a follower of Christ for any amount of time, a faithful follower, the one who continues to move forward, how many times do you look back on your life and said, "Oh, now I see what you were up to." Have you ever done that? Now, God, I see what you were up to. I didn't understand it in the middle of the transition. And some of them we won't know till we get to heaven. But if you step into it with faithfulness, and the Brian Houston's statement I gave you a few weeks ago, I just think it's a great quote. Faithfulness is holding on to your purpose and trusting in God's goodness. In the midst of the peaks, celebrations and mountaintops, as well as the trials, temptations and tragedies that life throws at you, This is how you grow grounded in grace. The sixth one is why some people are in dirt. Number two, I believe, is shallow preaching for not plowing deeper. Come on a Sunday, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. Guess what? We're not all okay. There are religions and churches, I'm guessing, they want to make sure that you come to church and you feel good when you leave. I get it. I get that. Especially as a leader, you you want people to go okay, but I want to go back there because I feel good every time I go there. You come to church each week to get your boost, or not each week, maybe once a month. <laughs> I'm overstating the once a week thing, I guess. <laughs> but I'll tell you this personally, and maybe it's just me: a religion or church that is okay with me staying comfortable makes me really uncomfortable. Because we all know the reality is that everything's not okay. We know it. Why would I want to come in and out of here and somebody tell me it's okay and it's not okay? That's a form of lying, I think. (laughs) It's what I would call that. But I do believe we should leave every week with great hope. Let's be real. Let's know what's going on, but let's have some great hope moving forward. But I may have to get uncomfortable to get there. The church will have to answer for their potential role in allowing the dirt to be shallow from the lack of preaching. Of hard truth, the lack of follow-up, the lack of discipling, and the lack of a pathway for transformation. The church, I believe, is going to have to answer for that someday, if we're not already. You hear me say, a lot of times I go, well, put your hand to the plow. (laughs) I know that's an old old term, my dad Ran a team of horses at 8 years old plowing the fields. 8 years old. Can you imagine that? My grandfather was 1930. My grandfather was sick. And my dad was running a team of horses running a plow at 8 years old. They'd be arrested today. You know that and I know that. (laughs) But I got to watch a man who was strong to almost 9. Had a resolve about things. He knew what it meant to put his hand to the plow. When I say put your hand to the plow, that means let's get it. Another one is we need, to, we need to till the ground. We need to be tilling ground. Tilling, you don't know if you know what that is. That's turning the ground upside down. Some of them have got motors on them now, Briggs and Strattons. But just my point is this. The church needs to be a place where grounds tilled. For sure. And seed is planted. And water is applied. It's just a lot of things. The seventh one, is this seven? Anybody keeping an count at home, like I said? Is that I think dirt number two, one of the challenges is they're satisfied with secondhand religion. Glenn Packham talks about it in his books Secondhand Jesus. If you live a life of secondhand faith, you don't really have to worry about God breaking into your life and you having to respond. Isn't that cool? Isn't that much easier? Let the preacher, your spouse, or your parents figure out the Jesus thing, and if anything comes up, they will let you know. (laughs) If you don't own it, it's always at the mercy of doubt. Doubt. We, we, we can talk about security of faith, insecurity. Let me say this. If your religion is secondhand religion, if your relationship with Christ is secondhand, I understand why your relationship is insecure. Go back to the five C's real quick. I'm going to tell you, I think some of these people who are concerned, is it true, is it true for me, is it true for me all the time? I believe one of them is because they're living. They may have already come to Christ in some way. They've made that personal uh, 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 profession of faith, but they still are living it secondhand. And it floods you with doubt at times, and this insecurity of is it or isn't it. And what it does, it diminishes your opportunity to impact the kingdom because you can't confidently move forward. You can't confidently step into a situation that seems all messed up, a circumstance, and say God is up to something here, and I trust him right here, and you continue to move forward. But if the dirt if if the dirt is shallow and there's hard rock underneath it you will you, get scorched there. You'll fade. I'd say the other thing is in second-hand religion. Second-hand Jesus. There's always something missing. It's incomplete. There are needs that this life brings which only Christ can meet. Wounds that only he can heal. Nothing can ever take his place. And you're never going to find it. I want to say this, though. Appreciate the people in your life who have mentored you and discipled you. We all need those. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We all need those. But we need to make sure our relationship with Christ is not simply riding on the coattails of others. Teenagers. Husbands. I mean, I know there's others, obviously. And the last one is this, number eight. We're going to do all of them. How about that? You have a problem, and Jesus seems like a good answer. You have a problem, and Jesus seems like a good answer. Problem with your kids, well, go see the pastor. Jesus seems like a good answer. No, Not necessarily a good answer for me, but it is for my kids. I could preach a whole sermon on that, parents, as a youth pastor. But let's play this out a little more. Of course Jesus is the answer. But here's the deal. Your salvation is more than a problem to solve. Jesus didn't just come to fix my problems. He came that I might have life. and He came that I would give my life back to follow him. He gave his life for me. He turned around and says, but (laughs) you give yours back. See, dirt number two is listening. See, dirt number two is different than dirt one. Dirt one is so hard and they don't even want to hear it. Dirt number two at least is tilled up enough to listen. They're open to the things of God. But they're just not taking God serious about what he says. They're drawn to the blessings, as we've said, about salvation. But say no thanks when confronted with the cost of being a follower of Christ. They're there for the benefits as long as it doesn't cost them anything. And we see that in Scripture. We see people leaving Jesus consistently. Look at John 6. Jesus even asked his disciples in John six six six, do you want to leave too? And Peter, in one of his brilliant moments, and basically what Jesus is saying, if you want to leave, there's the road. But what does Peter say? Jesus, where would we go? You're the Holy One of God. Good answer, Peter. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> See, in 1986, when I gave my life to Christ... I didn't have a problem that needed solved. I had a direction that needed to change. I love what Andy Stanley says in his Principle of the Pathway. He said this. He said, the path I'm on always determines where I end up. It really doesn't matter where I intended to be. The path I take ultimately determines my destination, plans, intentions, family. None of that counts. I always end up where the road I've chosen takes me. It leads where it leads regardless of race, color, gender, age, education, social status. If it's the wrong path, it can steal an entire stage of your life. Anybody say amen to that, unfortunately. It can leave scars and memories that you can't seem to shake. It's like saying today, If following after God full hearted is going down this aisle, I can't continue to walk that way. Some of you have determined for whatever reason you want to continue to walk your way and the only way to walk is here. God has brought people and circumstances into your life to get your undivided attention. You've ended up at this church for some reason. You feel the pull. You feel the tug. You know there's something up. You're open to the things of God. You just... You try to explain it away... Or you just don't want it to cost you anything. When we gave our lives, or I gave my life, and committing our family in so many ways, when I made that decision at 27 years old, I had no clue where that path was going to take me. But God had plowed deep. He had plowed really deep. See, no one can know God for me. I have to engage Him ultimately without a go between. We can't be like Moses Moses, you go tell God something. No. That's done, it's us and Him. I believe this is the major turning point where so many people get hardened because like we said last week, you can't walk away from the cross neutral. You've got to do something with the man on the cross. You have to do something with him. i asked ask Josiah and him to come on up as we close. As I shared with you earlier, Our intention here is not to make you question your salvation, am I saved or not saved? But I'll tell you this. Jesus does. (laughs) He goes, where are you? And he pretty well lays out a picture for us. Some wonderful people are in dirt number two. Wonderful people that you love and I love. But if it's all true, if this whole deal is real, if heaven and hell are real, dirt number two is not converted. And if you don't follow after Christ, with you, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's Jesus. For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But he did not send his one and Son into the world to condemn it, but to what? Save it. That's why he came. He didn't come to just fix your problem to save you. Won't you stand as we close this morning and if you can, if you're able and I understand if you're not, but if you're able to stand. Church of the Nazarene we have altars. Not everybody has them, I get that and that's okay for sure. These brown pieces of wood up here, they're nothing sacred except when we just like anything when we meet God and understanding his presence and his working in our life it can become a sacred holy ground that's just a place we offer not every week but some weeks this is one of those weeks for you to come for whatever reason but if you're in dirt if you think you may be in dirt number one or dirt number two but maybe you've moved from dirt one to dirt two by last week to this week Maybe. We would love to get a chance to pray with you. Man, I'll stay here all afternoon and pray with you. I really, I think we've got other people that I could grab to pray with you. But I'd want to know for sure. Fortunately for me, when I came to know Christ, I blew past one, two, three, and I went to four as best fast as I could get there, and I just tried to stay there. Doesn't mean that I don't move back and forth. Now, there are times that I think God's trying to show me something I'm not teachable. But He keeps. Then I go, okay, okay, I need to get that. You know what I'm saying? You ever been there where you, God's trying to teach you something, and finally you give in? But you kind of go there for a little bit. Not losing your salvation, none of that. But for some of you, you've never repented. It's never been your own. We invite you today to come and kneel at these altars. Begin to pray. We'll come around you if you want us to. But you don't have to feel pressure for that either. But let me pray for us. And Josiah and him are going to lead us. And you have an opportunity to come this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's your word. We hope and pray. Lord, we know we come with our own insight and hopefully discernment and wisdom to speak into it. But Lord, as we've said over the past many weeks. Man alive, the last thing we want to do is talk anybody into anything. We don't want just emotion to substitute for conversion. But Lord, we know emotion draws us many times, conviction is emotional. Lord, use that and discern that in our lives today as we take these few minutes here as we continue to pray and sing and, Lord, make decisions. We all are making decisions. Let your word find fertile soil. We pray this in your name Jesus, amen. You come if you feel led this morning as we leave.